Morning. Morning. Thank you for being here. Um, you're going to notice different things on our, uh, our screens today. Has any of you noticed it already? There's been a little bit different things. Yeah, um, I wouldn't have if I don't, didn't know what was going on. But we are um, replacing some equipment that has been uh, off and on working. And so um, <laughs> we are replacing that. And so we're right in the middle of that. And so things can be a little bit different. And we hope to have everything up and running again um, next week. So that's just a heads up if you see some things look different. Like we're going to have full screen for our verses today instead of half screen. And so you might notice some of that at home too. Okay, we are in Genesis 23 and 24 today. It is a, um, you know, it, it's not as a crazy passage as we've been looking at. And so I walked in this morning feeling much more calm um, than some of these things that we've been when having to deal with. But it's also a time where uh, Sarah passes away in Genesis chapter 3. Abraham passes away in Genesis chapter five, 25. So end of life, end of life impact. And so we're going to be looking at that today. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 1 says this, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. Kind of morbid. But what's it saying? It's saying, hey, if, you, if you're given a good name at birth, a name to live up to, that, that's a gift. That's really cool to be able to say, okay, this is what we're praying God grows you up to be. That's neat. What's way better is when you die, if you've lived up to it. And that's what uh, Ecclesiastes 7.1 is talking about, and that's what we're going to look at today, is the fact that at the end of Sarah and Abraham's life, they left a legacy. And we all know that they weren't perfect, that they did a lot of dumb things. Probably they have done more evil and stupid things than you will ever do. And yet they are a couple of people in the Bible that are lifted up as examples of faith. And so that's encouraging to us because, um, you know, we, we know we're not perfect and yet God can use us and have an impact in this world. So they, they leave a legacy and we're going to look at that starting in chapter 23, verse 1. Sarah lived 127 years, all right? And so she actually, for that day, that wasn't super long, but uh, it is for our day. So she lived a long time. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, and that's Hebron. And so if you look at a map today of Israel, and you see um, south of Jerusalem, kind of halfway between Jerusalem and Beersheba, is in the hills is a town called Hebron. And uh, you could go there today, although we wouldn't recommend it because it is a place of uh, potential hostility in Israel. There's a few places that are some places in the West Bank, which is the West Bank of the Jordan River, the Gaza Strip, which is the old land of the Philistines, still a problem today. And, um, and Hebron can be a place. But if you go to Hebron today and um, you would go to, there is a synagogue mosque kind of together built over the place that Abraham and Sarah are buried. And there's, there's pretty good evidence that that's the actual place. 
And so it's one of those places in Israel that you go that kind of X marks the spot. A lot of places you go, it's like, okay, it was in this general area, the feeding of 5,000. Yeah, it was on the slopes of the Sea of Galilee. Don't know exactly where, maybe in this area. Um, there's other places in Israel where X marks the spot because we know that, that early Christians built churches on those spots. And um, the fact that they built a church on the spot now removes all ability to recognize it as a spot that Jesus would have seen. But it gives us, um, in some of these places, a lot of confidence that actually this is the spot, although you'd never recognize it. Uh, Sarah's grave is one of those. All right, so in, in Hebron, the land of Canaan, and Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. What's interesting here, this is the first place in the Bible, the Bible where the Bible mentions tears, crying, weeping. There have been countless things that we've read about that probably crying and weeping was part of an event that we've read about in the past. But this is the first time the Bible says uh, Abraham went and at Sarah's memorial at her death, he was distraught, he was crying, he was weeping. You know, grieving, um, is something we fear, but it is a gift of God to help us heal by remembering, by appreciating uh, people we loved and have lost. And uh, it's nothing that you ever look forward to, but um, there is some real healing that happens if you engage in a grieving um, process. So the Bible points that out, that's Abraham. By the way, man, just think about it, Abraham and Sarah. They probably celebrated their 100th year anniversary. That's crazy. Like some of you are thinking, well, we made it to seven, you know. <laughs> but 100 plus years, can you imagine the things that they've gone through in life? I mean, the trauma and the pain that they've experienced in their relationship. You know, moving um, from the Babylon area all the way down to Beersheba. Uh, they, they've gone through some ups and some downs and some adventures, and, um, and they loved each other. And at the end of that hundred-some-year marriage relationship, Sarah died, Abraham is hurting. Now, Sarah had her faults. Abraham had his faults. We've read about them. We've pointed them out. But at the end of the day, in Hebrews chapter 11, both Sarah and Abraham are included in what Christians call the chapter that's the hall of faith for um, the Bible. And both Sarah and Abraham are in it as people who are examples to us um, of people who are living life trusting God. And they're both in it. Um, chapter 25 is when, er, when uh, Abraham passes away, and it says in verse 8 that he died when he was full of years. And that's not talking just about quantity of time, but quality of life. And so they ended well. Verse 3, And Abraham, wrote, or Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner, a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of sight. Verse seven, Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me, Ephron, 
the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, and it is at the end of his, of his field. For the full price, let, me give, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. And so here is Abraham, and he's coming to the Hittites who, are, who own that area, and he's saying, um, I don't own any land, which is crazy because Abraham is a person of wealth. Um, but he did not buy land. He, he lived in a tent. He was, a nom- he was nomadic. He moved with the herds, and he had big herds. And, uh, and so he would move from place to place in order for his herds to be sustained with the resources off the land. Um, but he didn't have a place to bury his, his wife. And he says, I'm a sojourner. He says, um, I'm a foreigner. So what's he talking about there? Well, Hebrews 11, when it's talking about people of faith, says this. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. And so they were people trusting in God for a promise of God, and yet that promise was, ne- was not fulfilled within their lifetime. So that's interesting. I mean, they, they, they lived believing in a promise of God that was fulfilled after they passed away. And so that was true of Abraham and Sarah. Um, but having seen them and greeted them from afar... And having knowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And so it's like that they, they could envision what God had promised. They could see it from afar. It didn't happen when they died. But they were living as if they were foreigners and exiles on the earth. Which means they knew that they were made for a place other than the earth. Their earth is their temporary home. But here even at... Um, Sarah's memorial service, and if you've been to a memorial service, you know that it's kind of the ultimate reminder that we're just passing through. I mean, this life on earth, it's all we have right now, but um, for, for many, it's all they believe they'll ever have. But for followers of God, we know that this is not what we are made for. Thank God for that, right? That the earth is not the ultimate. But there is a day that we will be in the presence of God and our, our relationship with him will be perfectly restored. And there will be a day where there's a new earth. He creates a new earth, uh, uh, better than the original as it was meant to be, where it would just um, be beautiful and yet it would be harmonious. We'd be in harmony with him and one another and all creation. And there's a day where we will be in his presence and live that way. But in the meantime, we live... Here, knowing our goal of our existence is our eternity. And so that's really the first thing about leaving a legacy. How does Abraham and Sarah leave a legacy? Well, real legacies are built by basing our priorities on heaven, not earth. Now, is that saying, oh, that's just so out of touch? I mean, you're just living for eternity that you're no earthly good. And that's not the case at all. I mean, I make goals for on earth. I'm, I make uh, personal goals. I make goals for in leadership. I make goals for Kathy and I and, and um, savings and all those type of things. So I make goals. But God is saying, make those goals by being influenced by your top priority. And your top priority is to know and love me and to live with me for all eternity. So your priority... Your priorities are eternal. 
And then you make your goals in light of that. And so how many times do you make your goals just based upon, man, what's coming at you? And the things that you like to accomplish in, your, in the busyness of your life and the demands that are coming at you all the time. And God's saying, raise yourself above that and think of eternal impact. And so what are we living for? What are you living for? And you might think, well, never thought of it. Well, you're living for something because you are carrying out your life and you are making decisions, even unconsciously, with priorities of what you want to happen. And God's saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to think in light of the way I think. And I think eternal, not temporal. I think eternal impact. How would my life have an impact 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 500 years from now, eternally? Well, yeah, it can. Our lives can have an impact that's eternal. And Abraham and Sarah got that. So um, here's what I'd say. I'd say uh, this doesn't come naturally. We don't think about this naturally. We just live and we just make it through the day and make it through the week. And we had this semester coming up or we have this um, quarter in our business or, and we're just thinking how are we gonna make it? How are we gonna get through it? And then you're making goals accordingly. And God's saying, uh, in order for you to think bigger than that, you're gonna have to spend some time listening to God. So carve some time out of your schedule where you just listen to God and you allow God and the Holy Spirit to talk to you and give you a, a, um, a spiritual, Holy Spirit-motivated vision for your future. To where at your memorial, how would you know if you live for eternity? Well, what does that look like? We need to think about that. And if... These are eternal priorities that I feel like God's given me. Then how does that impact how I spend my time and my resources? Is it reflecting that? And so this is what I do when I, when I spend time doing this. I, I get into a quiet place. I usually have um, a journal and I, and I start writing. And because it keeps me focused, because if I'm not writing, I am squirrel. You know, I'm, I'm off. And so um, it, it keeps me focused. And I'm just asking God, just what are you thinking about the big picture, about how I'm investing my time and my life and uh, the resources you've given me? And then I work back as I get clarity on, okay, this is, if I lived a life well-lived according to what I understand I am to be, um, according to you, God, then this is how I'm going to, this is the impact I'm going to have. These are the decisions I'm going to be making. This is how that's going to feel. This is how it's going to feel uncomfortable at times. And that's what I'm going after. Then I work back. Okay, how, you know, what, what big buckets are in that vision? So how am I moving towards that bucket this year or the next three months? And then I, I actually get it into, into my calendar. So I'm starting big, and then it's all it's getting into my calendar. So I'm writing ahead in my calendar, do this, do that, make time for this, 
um, spend time reflecting. I mean, one of the things I'm reflecting on right now is, you know, um, God, if the transition goes well, what will that feel like? When I'm sitting in this faith family and transition went well, um, what's it going to look like, feel like? What am I going to see? And I want to get a vision for that and, and, and then work towards that. And that's, um, but we need to be big picture thinkers as, uh, as followers of God. And we are usually terminal thinkers, short term. How's this going to help me today, tomorrow, and maybe next semester or next quarter? And God's saying, you got to think bigger. Um, eternal priorities. How are you going to have those? All right. Um, let's see. We're made for another place. C.S. Lewis said, if you aim for heaven, you get earth thrown in. If you aim for earth, you get neither. Great philosopher, thinker, theologian, writer, C.S. Lewis. So what is your life about? What is your life about? Verse 5. The Hittites answered, Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. I mean, do they believe in God? No, they have their own gods. But they know Abraham enough to the way they have great respect for him, even though I'm not tracking with your religion. That says a lot, doesn't it? Where somebody who is not on the same page as you regarding their worldview and yet they have, they know you enough to respect you as a person of character, as a person who is living in light of what you believe. And so they respond to Abraham with great respect, bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. So that's just a great example. Man, may I go through life to where people who I, I befriend become and have relationships with that do not know God, that think I'm foolish for my belief in God, and yet may they know me and know how I live enough to have respect for me because of how I'm living. And that's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. Now, Abraham and Sarah, remember, they did not have a great start. Um, they did not have a great middle, but they had a great end. And they had gone through some tough things, made some stupid mistakes, embarrassing mistakes, and yet they finished strong. Real legacies, second thing, are built by investing in people, not possessions. Investing in people, not possessions. Now, Abraham was wealthy. We know it just because of the size of his flocks and the size of his caravan. When he moved, a lot of people went with him. When he decided where to settle down, he couldn't settle down at the same place as his nephew because the, their, their businesses were so big that they would tap out all the resources of the area. And so they had to separate. And um, what's interesting, though, is Abraham's wealthy. He's a nomad. He doesn't have a bunch of land. He could have. He could have had homes all over the place, vacation homes, could have had all that stuff. Wouldn't have been necessarily wrong at all, but he didn't. Um, and the only time we hear about a number that talks about the size of his wealth and influence is when Lot is being attacked 
his city and five other cities are being attacked by a, a, a neighboring army. And all these people that Abraham knows and loves are being defeated. And five kings are being imprisoned by five other kings who, are, who have attacked and conquered them. And Abraham rallies his troops and rallies his resources and goes to war to save other people. That's the only time we get a, gl a glimpse of the size of his wealth and, um, and the size of his army. And he goes and he saves them. The other time we get a glimpse, and it's just a, it's a percentage, is when a priest comes in the town and Abraham, it's a priest that worships God, and Abraham goes before him and says, I, I want to give a percentage of all I have. I want to give it to God as an act of dependence upon God, as an act of thankfulness for what he's allowed me to have, and as an act of worship to God. Two times we get a glimpse of the breadth of Abraham's um, influence and power and wealth. And it, once it's about leveraging it to serve others, and the second time is leveraging it to worship God. He had big picture in mind had big picture in mind, but when you hear about Abraham and Sarah, you don't hear about, okay, this is how we can amass wealth like Abraham. That's the legacy left. Nope, that's not it. Okay, this is how we can have, we can lead like Abraham because Abraham obviously was able to get a bunch of people to risk their lives to join him to go defeat an army. Nope, we're not talking about his leadership. We're talking about his influence on people. Abraham and Sarah's life had such an influence to where everyone, I mean, the majority of the world today is influenced by them. How's that? The majority of the world is either Christian, Muslim, or Jewish. And all of them point back to Abraham and Sarah. I mean, their lives had an impact that went beyond their footprint of time. And it was because they had an impact by investing in people, not possessions. And so um, Abraham had possessions. He had position, but he wasn't living for it. And he was living to um, leverage it for the benefit of others. All right. So at your memorial, um, what do you want people to say about you? And just use your Holy Spirit-driven imagination and think about that day and think about people get up, people that you love. And what are they going to say? Oh, my gosh. He always had the latest golf technology. It was impressive. Always jealous of his new golf clubs. Or, you know, I've never seen a walk-in closet as big as theirs in my life. That was, it was just unbelievable. It was so impressive. It was just, man, they were organized. and they, they was, It was amazing. Or because they were a friend, I am more like the person God wants me to be. I'm better because I knew him and spent time with him. 
God says people are our legacy. Jesus in the New Testament shares a kind of a weird parable about the, the shrewd servant who um, knows he's going to get fired. And so he takes his rich owner's assets and uh, he goes back to people who owe um, his boss money. And he goes and he starts forgiving their debt and saying, okay, instead of that much, it's only going to be a quarter. Let's settle it now and you're, you're free. And then he gets fired. But he has a lot of friends as a result. And people are going, Jesus, what, what are you saying here? You know, misuse resources you've given us. And Jesus says, no, no, here's the point. That shrewd manager is more shrewd than many, are you, many of you are as followers of Jesus and followers of God. Well, how so? Because God has given you resources that you don't own, but you've been given them to leverage for the benefit of building relationships that impact eternity. So that one day when you die, because of how you leveraged the resources God gave you, you will have people welcoming you in heaven and thanking you for the influence that you had on their life that forever changes their eternity. And that's what Abraham and Sarah did. They knew that their legacy was people, not their possessions or their positions, which we can get totally wrapped up in. All right, verse, or chapter 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Strange thing there. Okay, so let me explain. They're making an oath. And in ancient times, one of the ways they made an oath was by putting your hand under the thigh and supposedly, and I've done a lot of reading on this and some of it's weird, but um, you put your hand under the thigh of the person you're making an oath with because their thigh and their, their butt muscle was considered the biggest, strongest muscle in their body. And it represented how strong a commitment I'm making to this oath. All right. And so he goes to his most trusted advisor, who I think, by the way, in um, Genesis 15, uh, when God gives Abraham this promise that your descendants are going to bless the entire world, Abraham goes, I have no descendants. We're not, we aren't able to have kids. And so everything that I have is going to go to my, my trusted right-hand man, Eleazar. And so I think this is Eleazar that Abraham is talking about. He's going to him and saying, okay, I am old. I can't travel, but I want to ask something of you that is so important to me. And verse three, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac there. So where they live, well, they live in modern day Palestine, you know, from Hebron to Beersheba is where Abraham is living. It's where he was told by God to go because he grew up 
down by Babylon. Okay, so this, we're talking about a week to, to get there. If, if you travel every day, it's going to take you at least that long, maybe longer to, to get there. And so he's asking a big favor of Eleazar. And he's saying, I want Isaac, my son, to carry out, to trust in the promises of God, as I've trusted, and to, and to trust that God will work through him as he's promised. And I think there's a chance if he marries a local girl, a, a Hittite or a Canaanite, they have a total different worldview than we have. They're not, they're not trusting in the God of Israel. They're not trusting in um, Yahweh, the God who's made this promise to me. And so if he marries into a family who is trusting little G gods, there's a good chance that he is going to get sucked up into their culture, into their climate, into their beliefs, and walk away from the God who's, who's asked, who's promised us in our family that as, as we follow him, he's going to change the world. And so we need to protect, protect our confidence and our trust in God. And Isaac needs to have a wife that will help him do it. And so go back to Babylon. Well, there's not a lot of God trusters there either, either but they know of Abraham and, his, and he has his kins there and they know what God promised Abraham and what Abraham did. And so he's saying, find a woman who uh, has a heart to understand and know God and will leave her home and go on this journey with Isaac. And so Eliezer says, okay, I'll do it. And so what what Abraham is doing is he's, he's saying real big, you know, I, I'm leaving a legacy. My life is leave, leaving a legacy. And now I want to help Isaac begin building his. And so here's the, the point. Real legacies are built by choosing close friends who have the same eternal priorities. And so if I'm going to pick a spouse or even a best friend, because I know that my closest friends are the ones that are most likely have an impact on my life and influence me then doesn't it make sense that I'm going to choose my closest friends and my spouse if I'm at all believing in, in God and that I am to follow him? i got to have somebody who's going to help me in that, who's on that same journey. But if I have somebody who has no clue about that, don't under, doesn't understand the greatest priorities of my life, then how are we going to build a life together? How are we going to raise kids? How are we going to you know, budget our time and our our talents and our relationships and our finances. And um, if I'm living for eternity following God and they're living for today following something else. So I need to be aligned with the people that are closest to me. And Abraham's saying that is true of his son and his son's future wife. And so Eliezer goes and he says, okay, um, how am I going to know which one? How am I going to know? How am I going to know which one God has for Isaac? And he prays. And he's saying, "God, this is big. I, I need to. I don't want to trust my judgment. I want to know from you that this is your person. How will I know?" And so he he uh, he gets a vision from God about how he will know. And he says, when he enters the city, he's going to be outside the city. He'll be at the well outside the city, and um, every evening when the temperature cools down. The women of the city typically come out to the well to get water for their family. And so they bring their, 
their um, pottery out to fill up to take, to take back home. And he says, Lord, have the person who you have for Isaac not only come out and get water for their family, but come out and offer me water too. And so I see they have a heart for their servant. They have a, they have, to be a servant. They have a heart to see other people besides themselves. And not only have a heart to see me, but also offer water for the people traveling with me and my camels. He's got 10 camels with him. If they've been traveling for a week, um, these camels can go a long way, way, a long way and a long time without water. But when they're thirsty, they drink like 25 gallons at a time. Okay, so they got 10 gallons or 10 camels. That's, that's 250 gallons of water that this woman would have to get out of the well and pour out for the camels. And he goes, I, I want somebody who has a, not only a heart for others, but goes above and beyond. And sure enough, he goes, and there's a woman who does that, and her name is Rebecca. And then not only that, Rebecca says, uh, why don't you come in, as, since you're a traveler, with your people and your resources, I mean, you need a place to stay. Stay at our house. And evidently her dad's passed away, but her older brother's kind of running the home with their mom. And so she goes and brings them there. And they're hospitable. And they hear the story of Eleazar and what he was praying for and how Rebecca seems like the girl God wants for my um, master Abraham's son, Isaac. And they listen. And they have hearts to not only hear how God's working in somebody else's life, but maybe even in their own life. And so character matters. Abraham's character to speak into his son. Eleazar's character to seek God. Rebecca's character to be able to see God at work and be able to have her eyes off of herself and on, somebody, and on the well-being of somebody else. And Rebecca's family's character. And how do we pick best friends or even spouses? Well, how good do they look? How good are they going to make me look if, if I'm their spouse or if I'm their date? Or if, and, and we're thinking image. And uh, I think it was Abraham Lincoln that says, you know, um, the shadow of a tree is an image, but that means nothing. What you want is the real tree. And, uh, and we're all about the shadow. And Eliezer has the wisdom to say, no, the people that are closest to the people that I love, um, I, I'm going to follow my, my best friend Abraham's advice, and I'm going to find people of character. And that's what he goes after, people of character, people that are going to make us better. And we typically don't do that. In verse, uh, chapter 24, verse 56 it said, but Eliezer said, after he met the family and Rebecca, he said, okay, you've heard my story. I think Rebecca is God's choice. Um, will you let her come with me and go back to my home? In verse 27, they said to him, well, let us call the young woman and ask her. I love that. I mean, this was arranged marriages. This is ancient times. This is the way they do it. But, but they cared enough for Rebecca. They wanted her to be safe. They cared about her opinion. They, they wanted to know, are you sensing God leading in this? Like we're sensing God leading in this? 
In 58, and they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And so they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And, and really, what hit me here is Abraham wants somebody for his son who's willing to trust God like Abraham was willing to trust God. Abraham, living down in Babylon, a family of means. And God comes to him and says, I want you to get up and I want you to move. I want you to move to a land that I'm going to tell you about with people you don't know, but I'm going to work through your line to bless the entire world. Will you trust me? And he got up and he went. And now here's Rebecca, who's having that same kind of faith, that same kind of trust. And is willing to trust God and go on this journey with Isaac um, in following God. Okay, so you're single. And you're thinking, okay, uh, how do I find somebody that God has for me? Um, good question. First of all, I want you to know you don't have to be married in order to have a fulfilled um, great adventure with God and to leave a legacy. Uh, in fact, Paul said, you know what? You're better off if you're single because you don't have all these commitments and these obligations. And if you sense God might be moving you in an area, you have freedom to go and do like you don't have when you're married and then when you have a family. And so some of you are thinking who are single, it's like, yeah, I don't like Paul. Um, and so if you're not buying that, then um, I would say, look for character. Look for somebody who has eternal priorities. You're saying, Bill, uh, have you looked around? Not a big pool of options there. And so I'd say this. You, you want somebody who's following God? You want somebody who's going to make you better, help you grow into the person God wants you to be? Then instead of spending your time and energy looking for that person, ask yourself, are you the person that that kind of person would want to be with? Instead of spending our energy looking, let's spend our energy becoming who God wants us to be and become the person that another person who is following God would be attracted to your character and would say, that's somebody I could, I could live with forever because we, are, we would be on the same page, going the same direction. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, I can't wait to talk to my husband and tell him what Bill said. Um, so give that up. Um, is God or is your spouse the person God had for you uh, if you said, I do, then yes. All right? Parents of adult children who are dating and you're going, no, it's not them. Can you open your eyes? And see, this is not the person for you. Let me tell you this. If they get married to this person anyway that you're not in favor of, when they get married, you should be the biggest cheerleader for their relationship. Because when they said I do and they committed themselves to each other, then that's the person for, that God has for them. Um, 
even if leading up to it, if they were wise and listening to God, it may not have been the person. But um, cheer them on. Don't be the person that is there to just, when they get in fights, your, your child comes back to you and just starts ripping on their spouse. And you're going, yep, yep, I, yep, yep, yep. Don't do that. Just say, you know, um, I'll be a listening ear, but at the end of the day, you need to go back and be the person that's gonna help make your spouse everything that God wants them to be. Man, cheer them on. Encourage them. Uh, one exception. If there's abuse involved, then get them out of the home. If you're in a relationship that's abusive, physical, abusive, at putting you at risk, you do not have an obligation to stay under that house. I mean, get yourself safe and then start thinking through your marriage. But um, be safe. Be the person that would attract the person of character that you want to marry because you're going after God. Quit looking, start becoming. Why would a person of faith in God with great character and integrity want to be with you? Uh, Isaac was 40 when he got married. Really unusual for that time. Really unusual. I mean, they, they didn't have teenagers. They had, they had children and then adults. Okay, no teenage years, no you know, high school, go to college, you know, spend some time, sow your wild oats, and then settle down. No, it was children, adult. So you got married typically when you were a teenager, okay? Um, Isaac was 40. I, I think God, I think Abraham was going, hey, I, I, don't, like, I don't like our options here. Um, you need to carry on following God and have your eyes on him in eternity and the promises that he's made us. And um, too easy to get influenced in a different direction here. And so at the age of 40 is when Abraham um, found somebody he could recommend to Isaac. Don't settle. Don't settle on a spouse. Um, you know, if you're single and you're just going, man, I, I just feel like I'm built to be married. Um, pray that you would enjoy your relationship with God so much where the deepest needs in you uh, are satisfied. You're not looking for somebody else to make you whole. Because if that's your mentality when you get married, that person will not make you whole. And you will be disappointed. And so um, enjoy the Lord. Enjoy the adventure he has on you. You can live a totally fulfilled life with God as a single person. And don't let anybody else convince you otherwise. But, uh, and then when you quit looking because you're focusing on God, you know, God may bring somebody. You never know. But have it be the right person. It's worth waiting. All right. Leave a legacy. What's our legacy? People people. Can we have impact on the people's lives around us? And so for some of you, um, many of you today, my, my challenge to you is 
carve out some time where uh, you're not distracted and sit down and ask God, um, what would eternal priorities mean for my life? And start, start listening to God and writing them down. And then start evaluating, how am I, how am I leveraging the resources God's given me for the, to, to meet those eternal priorities? Parents, by the way, let me, and dads, um, Abraham spoke into his son's life. Dads, we need you to speak into your kids' lives. You know, it is not the most popular time in human history to be a man right now. And uh, do not allow that to undermine your value as a dad. Because your, your kids need you. They need to know that you know them, so you spend enough time with them and you love them. And if they know you know them and love them, they'll be more willing to listen to you when you speak into them. And that means spending quantity time. And you say, well, I, I don't have a lot of time, but I spend quality time. And I say, if you don't have a lot of time spending with your kids, then I really doubt the quality. Because um, it takes a lot of quantity in order to get some quality. I spend a lot of time with my kids. Most of it, I wouldn't consider it life-changing. Um, it means you invest your time. Your eternal priorities needs to be these people who are in your life. And so how much, how much of your job zaps your energy and time so much that you, do you feel guilty about the lack of energy and time you get to spend with the people who are most important in your life? Well, my eternal priorities tell me maybe I need to change. I've asked that question myself different seasons of my life, and I didn't like the answer to different seasons. But if your kids know you love them and you know them, they have a better chance of listening to you. When my kids were getting older, my girls were getting, and, and you know, sometimes people say, Bill, you're a pastor, so you know, your words don't count. And uh, I will, it's, so just to be honest with you, I, I um, had three daughters who I love dearly and a wife, and there were four women in me. And honestly, there were times where I was really lonely. Um, but I knew how to unify them. You know, like if they're fighting and they're at each other's throats, all I had to do is step in and then they all turned on me and I unified them. Um, but the, the, there were times where I didn't want to spend time. Um, they were into things that, wasn't on my top of my list of things I wanted to be into. Um, there's times I wanted to you know, be, be with the boys more. I wanted to go hunt and fish more. I wanted to you know, be doing stuff that I knew that they didn't want to do. And I didn't. Because I knew I brought these girls into the world. I, I'm their dad, their only dad. I, I need to invest in them. And there's a lot of time where I didn't want to. But some of the funnest times were later on in life where uh, they go, Dad, I envision someday getting married. 
tell me about the man I should be looking for. Like, ooh. Okay, and I'd tell him. And I mean, we would be, it usually was driving on vacation. And we would spend hours talking about things and, and things I see in them that um, they may not have seen and why I thought somebody like this would be a good compliment to you and told them. I spoke into my girls' lives a lot and a lot of it was they were asking. And then they went and married guys that didn't have any clue like what, towards the things that I su suggested. And a lot of that was because they grew in different areas and they, they chose wisely, but they dated some people that I thought were train wrecks and I let them know it. Um, and even though there was, those were tough conversations and we did not see eye to eye, they didn't totally discount me. Speaking to your kids' lives and uh, love them and spend time with them to where they know you know them and they know you love them and you have their best in mind. And there's a better chance they'll listen. No guarantees, but your odds go up. We need to leave legacies. We need to build legacies. And people, God using us in the lives of people are our legacy. Let's bow our head and let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day I thank you for the lives of Abraham and Sarah who are um, in much of their life were big, hot messes. And so that gives us hope that you are not done with us, that you can work in us. And even if we're older, we can finish strong. And if we're younger, we can begin building legacies that, live, that leave impacts. So we thank you for that, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.